If you would, let's stand as we read God's word together. Acts 2, uh, verses 22 through 41. Um, If you don't have a Bible, uh, we have a Bible provided for you in the seat in front of you and uh, would really encourage you uh, to follow along this morning there on page 910. Page 910, Acts 2, 22 through 41. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, though, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand and I may not, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to their heart. But Peter said to the rest and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and your children and all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added to them that day 3,000 souls. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8 says, If the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your holy, perfect word uh, that that, uh, tells us of uh, your holy and perfect son um, who you sent to die for our sins um, so that we may be forgiven Um, And so that we may live at peace with you forever, um, now and forever. And uh, we praise you for that truth, for that reality. Um, I pray that we would be uh, deeply encouraged this morning by the the truth of the resurrection. And we thank you for it in your name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Well, it's a good day. Uh, We have children in our gathering with us, which means it might be loud. Um, It's also a good day. Uh, you know it's a good day because you can't see Brent Duke's shins or calves. Um, he has full-length pants on. So I saw him walking in. Yeah. 
I saw Brent. Brent's in the back in the purple shirt, for those who don't know. Uh, today might be the only time you ever see our brother Brent uh, with long pants. I'm, I'm not kidding. Um, like, freezing temperatures. He's, he's, uh, he refuses. And so today's a good day. Uh, you know it's special. It's also a special day uh, because we, we take just this time to, to uh, acknowledge, you know, very emphatically the resurrection of Jesus. And so this morning, I was walking around saying to people, uh, happy Easter Sunday, or as we Christians like to call it, happy Sunday, because uh, every Sunday uh, is, is because of the resurrection of Jesus. And so um, if Jesus did not raise from the dead, uh, then we are still in our sins. And uh, for those who know Jesus, uh, your sins have been forgiven for those who believe in him. And so this morning, that's, that's uh, some of my hope is for those who are uh, believers in uh, the Son of God, Jesus. Uh, hopefully, uh, what, what the goal this morning is, is just to encourage us and to reinforce the resurrection truth and the resurrection power. Um, and for those who may not believe in here, uh, we want to we welcome you and, and say we're very glad that you're here. Uh, and, and my goal over this next few minutes is to share with you uh, why we believe deeply um, in the resurrection and why it has forever changed everything. Um, and so Acts chapter 2, 22 through 41, uh, we see uh, one of the very first, if not the first sermon um, that serves as the foundation of the church. Um, and, it's, and it's a man named Peter. Um, if you've ever heard of Peter, uh, Peter is a guy who made a lot of mistakes. We like to make fun of a lot. Um, we would much rather say that we're Paul uh, but, but really, most of us are Peter, right? So let's just kind of get that out in the open. Uh, we, we, would, we would like to, to, uh, to uh, relate to some of the, the great warriors of Scripture, but Peter, um, though early on, uh, made lots of mistakes. He took uh, the resurrection, uh, what he saw, very seriously. Even um, it is believed that he gave his life for it. Uh, a man that could have gone back to his life as a fisherman after... Uh, Jesus died, uh, rather gave his life um, to, to serve our Lord, um, to preach our Lord, and to uh, call people to faith and repentance, um, and, to, and to say, trust him, trust in what he's done, even to the end, giving his life. And so here's, here's the, here's the re reality for us, church. Again, if you're a believer, this is just to reinforce something for us that we already know. Um, if you're not a believer, this is, this is uh, important to know that the resurrection is, is the hinge of all that we do um, as a Christian people, um, as a people who are, who are uh, slaves to Christ. Uh, the resurrection is um, the hinge point of everything that we do. We believe this thing, this resurrection, so, so deeply and literally. We believe in a literal, physical, bodily, historical resurrection, uh, that it really happened in a place in the East somewhere. Um, that we believe that it, that it really happened, and it's what we give our lives to. Um, I, I believe that as we grow deeper in our faith, we grow more and more willing to give our life for this. Um, and whether that's our physical life um, or whether that's our social life, uh, we, we, know that, we know that the culture is, is all sorts of things these days, uh, but, but we give our life, we are willing to be persecuted because there is a Savior who is risen from the grave. Um, and so we give our lives to it fully. And so God, what Acts tells us, what Peter tells us in Acts chapter 2, um, is that God is the one who declared Jesus the Son of God. So God, the, the, the God that many faiths may say that they believe in, the, 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 the one true God, Yahweh, declared Jesus 
to be the Son of God, as it says in verse 22, that, that Jesus was attested to these men by God with mighty works and wonders that we've been talking a lot about over the last year and a half in the book of Matthew. If you're new with us, uh, we, we, we try to preach line by line through the scriptures, and uh, we started the book of Matthew about a year and a half ago, um, and we're not even halfway through the book. So if you're with us for about three more years, we'll probably finish that up. Uh, today is just a special emphasis on the resurrection of Jesus. And so Acts tells us, Peter tells us right here that God, Yahweh, the one true God, uh, the, the, the one who has no match, the one who has no competitor in all of history and all the world and all the cosmos, that God is who declared Jesus to be the Son of God. Um, God, it says in Acts 2, delivered him to be crucified. Um, that, that God, that, that none of this was an accident. Um, that it was not, it was not uh, that the Romans outsmarted uh, God. No, the Romans were, one way that we put it, uh, that I've heard it culturally lately is that the Romans were playing checkers and God was playing chess. Um, God was playing chess and the Romans were playing checkers. Um, and so God had this eternal plan to put forth his son to be the way in which sinners would be at peace with God. And so God declared Jesus as the son of God. He delivered him to be crucified. And twice in Peter's sermon, Peter makes it very clear that God raised Jesus from the dead, that God raised Jesus from the dead. And so here's what I want us to do today. I want us to see uh, five truths about the resurrection um, from Acts chapter 2. Uh, five truths about the resurrection that we believe and that those from all cultures across all times have believed. And so uh, for, for, the, for, the, for the one who might think that, well, this is just kind of like a man-made uh, Western religion, no, this is the faith of those from across all cultures in all times that people from all walks of life have forever believed, and, and, I, and, and, and here's the deal, as dire as things sometimes look, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So church, we, we serve a risen Savior, and I want to hear an amen, we're not going anywhere. Let me say that again. We serve a risen Savior and we're not going nowhere. Let me say it one more time. Here we go. We serve a risen Savior and we're not going anywhere. Amen. Amen. So I want us to see five things. Um, I want to see five things about the resurrection that we believe and that those from all cultures and times have believed. First and foremost that we see, not first and foremost, but, but the first thing that I want us to see, somewhat from more general to more specific um, in this text, is that the resurrection is first and foremost historical. It's a historical event. It was both predicted and, and uh, fulfilled. Let's read verses 25 through 28. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. In your presence, uh, you, you make me full of gladness with your presence. And so the crux of Peter's sermon, the fact like the content that he's derived, that he's pulling from, like he's got a source here, okay? He's not just making this stuff up. He's got a source by which he's preaching what he's preaching. And that source 
is a psalm written some 1,000 years before this moment. A psalm written some 1,000 years before the life of Christ. And what Peter is saying is that the full and the ultimate application of Psalm 16 is the historical, literal reality that a man named Jesus of Nazareth, who Peter has introduced us to, that Jesus of Nazareth would, would die, he would be buried, and he would raise from the dead because God would raise him from the dead. And so Peter confidently here before this crowd of Jews, he says, men of Israel. So he's talking to a Jewish people who would have been very familiar with what David said, right? This was like their guy. This was, this was their, that David was like, was one of their guys. And Peter's pointing to, to, to David and, and claims that Jesus is the one who the great patriarch David was speaking of. So this is, this is what Peter is, is doing, He's, 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 being, he's being extremely wise and bold in what he states. Church family and those who are with us, we would, we would say this very confidently, that the resurrection sets Christianity apart from every other religion that has ever existed, now and forever, now and forever. Many, many will say, we worship the same God as fill in the blank, we, we worship the same, you know, we kind of all come from the same God, right? Or, or, or maybe you'll hear our prophets are, are all the same, but, but let me be very clear here that it is the resurrection and the belief in a risen Savior and the conviction of Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life that is the crux of Christianity's validity, and it's the, it's, it's, it's the, it's the crux, and, and no other religion, no other faith tradition has what is most fundamental and most core to its own validity. And for us, it is the, the, the resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus is alive. And so this is the teaching of the first century Jewish fishermen. Like I said already, this is a teaching of a first century Jewish fisherman who later gave his life for what he saw and what he believed. There's a reason why he didn't just go back to, well, our guy's dead. I guess I'm gonna, I, I got fishing to fall back on. And you've got a fallback plan? I, I guess I got fishing to fall back on. No, Peter said, Peter said all right, we've seen this. We've, we're, we've, we've believed it. We've been with him. We're gonna take this thing all the way to the end. We're gonna take this thing all the way to the end. The second thing that we see in this text is that the resurrection is physical. It's not just historical, then in that it was predicted and fulfilled, the resurrection is, is physical. It's a real death. It's a real resurrection. And so some people would say, well, no, he wasn't really dead. Well, in, in that moment, we just show ourselves a little bit ignorant of just like normal history. Anybody heard, heard of the Romans? Anybody heard of those guys? Uh, let's just say the Romans, if they wanted to kill somebody, they made sure it happened. There, there, there was no, and in fact, I, I believe it's at the, uh, the end of the book of Matthew, and, and the telling of the resurrection, they're, all, the, all the, the religious leaders are all freaking out. And they're just like, hey, listen, let's just go tell everybody that somebody, I think it's Matthew 28, let's just, let's just tell them that someone came and took his body. Because that's, that's them admitting that, that something has happened. And so the resurrection is a real death and a real resurrection. And so Peter makes this claim in verse 29. Let's, let's read verses 29 and 32. So we've read... Peter quoting the Psalms, look at verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. 
And then a little later in verse 32, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. I love what Peter does here. He's just like, David wasn't talking about himself because we know where his bones are. We, we, we know where his bones are. We can go to his grave. We, we, we can find him. We, we know where he's at. And so Peter makes this claim in verse 29 that, that any of us in here today can make of any other religion in the world's leader that he died, that he was buried, and his tomb is still with us to this day. His bones still lie somewhere. And what no other religion may claim of their leader is that they were witnesses to him being raised up. And what Peter does here says, we were witnesses to this. In fact, um, Peter speaks of the physicality of the resurrection, as does Paul and the gospel writers. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 15. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't know where that's at, uh, page 961 in those Bibles in the seats in front of you. Look what Paul does. Paul speaks of the physicality of the resurrection by saying, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Look what Paul says here. Most of whom are still alive, though some are still asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul is, Paul is uh, referring to a physical resurrection, going as far to say as, hey, there's a lot of people who saw him, and guess what? They're still alive. If this were some sort of uh, way for us to just kind of make up a fable of the resurrection, you would think that maybe a, a writer would come along later when there would be like no one to go ask. Paul's saying, hey, listen, there's a lot of people who saw him. Go ask him. And so this is a, a reference to the physicality of this. And John speaks, and, and John's gospel speaks in great detail about the resurrection morning. John, John speaks of it in great detail where he says, it was still dark. Speaks of, it was still dark. Uh, John talks about, here's who got here first. How do you think Peter felt? He's like, come on, man, you had to throw me under the bus for being the slow guy here? John, John's even going as far in detail as saying, hey, here's who got here first. The tomb is empty. In verses 6 and 7 of, of chapter John, verses 20, uh, or, or, or John chapter 20, verses 6 and 7, speak about the linens that were on Jesus. That there were the linens, and there was the, the, the face cloth folded up neatly. This is pretty deep detail for a story that may be made up, but what the scriptures point to us embraced across all cultures and times throughout human history, what the scriptures present to us is a bodily, physical resurrection. Our confidence and our faith in a risen Savior is such that we do not wonder if this happened. We claim that there is no way that this didn't happen. I, that's, a, that's a strong claim, I know. And I know, I know there's, there's people who desire evidence. And, and, and listen, there's, I believe there's evidence there. I also believe that there's a, a level of faith that we're called to to believe. And, and we don't just wonder if this happened. We believe that there is no way that this did not happen for so many reasons. We won't get into all that today. But church family, there is an empty tomb somewhere in the Middle East, as one of my pastors called, uh, said. The third thing that we see that the resurrection is not just historical and physical, it's spiritual. The resurrection is a spiritual event. 
In, in fact, what we need to know very deeply is what the resurrection accomplished. It accomplished our justification before God. What does justification mean? Essentially, on a very simple level, it means a lot more than this, but it does not mean less than us being forgiven of our sins before God. That we have been forgiven of our sins through faith in what Christ has done. The resurrection is no feel-good metaphor. It's not a feel-good metaphor. It's a deeply spiritual reality for us. Um, the, the resurrection doesn't mean something catchy about, you know, like, just be a better you. If Jesus can raise from the dead, just think about what he can do with you, right? Uh, now, spiritually speaking, yes. Uh, but, but that is no way to speak of the resurrection. The truth of the resurrection is that if Jesus is raised from the dead, then we are no longer in our sins if we have faith in him. That's the truth and the reality. Romans 4.25, I'll read it. You don't have to turn there. But Romans 4.25 says very confidently, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered for our trespasses and raised for our justification. There's a deep spiritual reality that we have been justified through, by God through faith in what Christ has done on the cross and through raising from the dead. And so because of the resurrection, those who believe are justified before God. We stand before him blameless. Because of the resurrection, we who by faith believe in what Christ has done, we can confidently say, as Romans chapter five says, that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. Can I just tell you this, church? If you're a child of God, you and God are perfectly at peace with one another. You and God, as a child of God, are perfectly at peace with one another. Jesus Christ has satisfied every demand that God had of us that we could not fulfill. And that if you don't have faith in Christ, you will never fulfill. I will, I will say this, and we've said this before, if you have faith in Christ, your judgment day has moved from the future to the past. And if you're not a child of God and if you refuse to believe in him who died and who rose again, your, your day of judgment awaits you. I know that's a hard reality, but it's something that the Bible speaks of and that we as Christians believe deeply in that a day of justice awaits. But here's the beautiful reality that through faith in Christ, your judgment day does not lie ahead it is behind you at the cross. And that's where your sins were paid for. God is perfectly at peace with his children. God wages no war against us. There is no nuclear threat from God for, God's, for, for his children. Sorry if that's a little too, uh, too little real right now. Too soon? Okay. Uh, without the resurrection, our faith is futile and we are still in our sins and we really do cease to exist when we die. We cease to exist from the presence of God because we are then removed from the presence of God eternally and forever separated from him. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 17 through 18 says this. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So the resurrection is not only historical, physical, and spiritual, it is also eternal, eternal. 
The resurrection is eternal. Let me just say this. Eternal life is the most significant aspect of the resurrection. Now, here's, here's something else we can say that is also true, that we believe that when we are saved, we are not only saved for heaven, but also for a kind of life that we can live on this earth that is of great consequence and of great value. We believe that eternal life is eternity, but it's also a kind of life that God has prepared for us to live here, that God has prepared good works for us, and what those good works are are those works that are done here on the earth. So we believe that when we are saved, we are saved from our sin to a life of godliness, and that our salvation has, again, great value and consequence to this life and not only eternity. We teach this. We believe that's what the Bible teaches. We really believe that right now on this earth, as you sit and live today, you and your soul can be at peace with God. That you can be at peace with God. But I believe that the scriptures over and over and over again tell us that this life is not all there is. This life is not all there is. And I believe that life eternal with God beyond the death of our physical bodies is the most significant reality of our union with him. That though this life is but a vapor, that for eternity we can be in the presence of God. And, and, and my goodness, church, if, if, you've, if, if you've been with us for very long, you know that, that, that we believe in, in living holy, set-apart lives here on this earth. But what, but what we see in the resurrection is that eternity has been secured for those who place their trust and their faith in him. Jesus did not die and resurrect just to give us the good life. He died and resurrected to give us eternal life. And as 1 Corinthians says, as we've already read, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be pitied. The fact that the resurrection of Jesus secures for us being forever in the presence of God is the most significant reality of the gospel that we can forever be with Christ. And then finally we see in this text, look what, uh, look what it says here at the end of Acts chapter, uh, of this section, verses 36, beginning there. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many, others, words, with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And so the resurrection is historical, it's physical, it's spiritual, eternal. But I need you to hear this. The resurrection is deeply personal. It's personal. It's, Peter claims that Jesus, through his resurrection, loosed the pangs of death. And what I, what I mean by personal is that when you hear this gospel, when, when you hear this gospel, once you have heard this gospel, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, as we were preaching last week, um, when, when Jesus sends the disciples out to the Jews, and Jesus is, is speaking of those who would not believe in him, what Jesus, Jesus says something very striking there. Let me just say this. 
Jesus says something very striking. He tells the disciples that he sends out that for those Jews who refuse to believe that Christ is the Messiah, the one who God sent, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for them. Because what Jesus is saying is, you are taking the gospel of the kingdom of God to those men and women. And once they have heard it, once, they have, once it has been given to them, once they have been made aware of it, then the day that they stand before God will be an unbearable day. A, a day that, that Sodom and Gomorrah was not even able to see. A, a, a message and a clear gospel, a clear, a clear picture of the gospel in Jesus that even Sodom and Gomorrah were not able to see. And what Jesus says, it will be more bearable for those, let, let's just apply this, it will be more, more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for those who heard the gospel but refused to believe in the gospel. That will be a very hard day. And so what we mean by it being personal is that this gospel demands a response. If Jesus is not raised, and if my faith is not in what Christ has done on the cross and through the grave, I am still in my sins. And this is an actual Jesus dying for an actual sins of actual people. Jesus says in, in uh, John 11 that I am the resurrection. We'll, we'll get to that more in just a second. But there is a, a sharpness, as, as, as he says in verse 24, let's go back up. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held. by. There's a sharpness to death that we all feel, right? There's a sharpness to it. I was talking to my dad yesterday um, who's a, who is also a pastor, and uh, he, he will likely be doing the funeral of a man this week whose, whose wife he did the funeral for just two months ago. And, and, and this man is, is home. He's, he's as comfortable as he can possibly be. And, and what, what, what my dad said with tears in his eyes was, I'm just tired of funerals. I'm just, I'm tired of, I'm tired of funerals, tired of death. I'm, I'm devastated that two months ago we, we buried this sweet lady and that by before the end of the week we'll, we'll probably bury her husband. I'm just tired of funerals. And so there is a weight and a weariness to death that we are all very familiar with. Church, let me tell you something. Jesus is familiar with all of the aspects of the gravity of sin and death. John, John 11, as we referenced earlier, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but, but John 11, Jesus' friend, Jesus friend Lazarus has died. The shortest, book, the shortest verse in all the scripture, anybody know it? Jesus wept. Now there's a lot of people that say a lot of different things about what Jesus was weeping over. I think, think there may have been, maybe it's more than one, possible both and, Right? We don't have to necessarily be either or. Maybe it's both and. I would say that one of those significant realities was that he was stricken with grief through, his, through the death of his friend. That Jesus, in a way, through his humanity, was tired of the, the, the weight and the reality of sin and death. Now, he knew what he was going to do, right? He knew. He knows death's future, but I think that Jesus was also weeping because he felt the gravity of sin and death. 
and Jesus along with us. I think the Bible is full of places for us to see that Jesus is fully familiar with the weight and the gravity of these things. Jesus is familiar with it. The Apostles' Creed, if you don't mind me saying this, the Apostles' Creed says that Jesus descended to hell. Now, I may have already lost a ton of you because we don't like that statement. Now, I, I believe, I've, I've read a little bit on this, I believe that we've got some, somewhat different language um, that maybe the early church did. And I, I don't believe that what the Apostles' Creed means by this is that, that, he, that he went into hell and was tormented. Rather, what he felt and experienced was the weight and the reality of death. That for, that, for, that for three days in the grave, that he felt the reality and the weight of sin, suffering, and death, and what, that, what, what darkness in death feels like. And so what Peter says here, though, is that it was not possible for Jesus to be held down by it but he has fully drank from that cup. He has fully tasted the weight and the reality of sin and suffering so that by faith in him, we don't ever have to feel or experience the, the, the depth and the gravity of an eternity separated from him. One of, one of the guys that I read says that, that uh, sleep is a short death, but death is a short sleep. Because of Jesus, because of the resurrection, death is but a short slumber for those who are in Christ, for those who have faith in him. Church, this is no theoretical reality for us. The resurrection is no metaphor. The resurrection, as Jesus says in John 11, the resurrection is a person. Can we just read that? John 11, 25 to 26, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then Jesus says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? The resurrection is deeply personal and demands a response. And then Peter closes this sermon by saying, Know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And from there, a response is seen by those who heard. Upon hearing the resurrection and the Holy Spirit awakening their hearts to this truth, they can't help but say, what shall we do? What, what shall we do? And John tells, John tells us, um, why he claims the things that he does in his gospel in John 20. Why? That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You may have life in his name because Jesus is our crucified, risen, reigning Savior. So for those of you who may not know Jesus, this is the purpose of the resurrection. This is the invitation of our risen Lord, of our risen Savior, that you would believe in his name and trust in him for eternal life. And for those who do believe, this is how we're going to close. We'd like you to stand. 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to read this together. 1 Corinthians 15. 
verses 50 through 58. Page 962. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body, perishable body must put on the imperishable and the mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So those who do not believe the invitation has been made, believe and trust in his name. Trust and believe in, in, in who Jesus claims himself to be and what Jesus has done for us. And believers, keep on going because there is a day coming where the sting of death, the victory of death, that will, the, the, the final enemy of God is death. And one day Jesus will put death to death forever as he has already shown us through his resurrection. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word for your son, uh, for the spirit of God that you have sent so that we may have great comfort, great confidence, great assurance. We thank you that, um, Lord, there is, no, there is no role in the Father, Spirit, Son that is, that is um, unimportant or insignificant. But the Father, through his love, sent his son Jesus to die and the Son sent the Spirit so that we may, may know, may know of our sin, may know of what Christ has done for us, and may do a work in us um, that, that prepares us for an eternity with you. We thank you for what Christ has accomplished for us. We thank you that through trust in him, in his name, in, in what he has done for us, that we can be saved. There's no work there's no, no ritual. There is nothing done on our part that we must do in order to be saved, only trusting in the name and the work of Jesus. And we praise you for that. Lord, we respond now um, through, through song um, and through the, the taking of, of the elements, the, 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 uh, the cup and the bread, so that we may recall what you have done for us through Christ. Praise things in his name. Amen.